just bow our heads in a moment. Father, we thank you again for your word. As we come to it now, we ask for grace to understand it and to apply it and to be blessed by it for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name and by the Spirit. Amen. Now, those of you who spent last year, came in on a Sunday evening when I was here preaching, know that we were doing 2 Corinthians and we finished at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Well, I thought that this year we would leave 2 Corinthians and we go to Hebrews chapter 11. Not the whole of Hebrews, just chapter 11. And what I want to do is to look at faith, um, what it is, what it isn't, and then look at the heroes or the men and women of faith as mentioned in chapter 11. Uh, it's one thing to talk about faith in a, in a kind of theoretical sense and, and even in a kind of theological sense, but I think it's helpful, and this is why it's here, I'm sure, it's helpful to look at people, real people, who lived real lives with all the ups and downs, all the trials and tribulations, and see how they lived by faith, and the difference faith made in their lives. And as I read through it, I'm sure some of you will, would, would have thought about the stories behind these names. I mean, you think of Abraham and Isaac, and, and that's a tremendous story back in Genesis. And we believe it's a true story. And <clears throat> we see how Abraham went through that. And we see about Sarah, right? Or Sarah, as she was firstly, and how she, she's longing for a child, and, and then God gives her one in old age. And these are real people with real lives, and they go through these things. And there's a long list of them. Not everybody from the Old Testament is there, but the writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has been selective in the names and in the situations. And one thing that occurred to me was that <clears throat> when it talks about the life of this particular person, the thing that you might have thought would be the big thing of faith sometimes isn't. I mean, you think of, um, if I can find it quickly, you think of Joseph, all right, and all that he went through, okay, and all the difficulties he had. Um, let me just find it. Oh, here we are. No, Jacob. Jacob, all the difficulties he went through, okay? The one thing that's mentioned by the writer as an evidence of faith, leaning upon the top of his staff. I thought, oh, okay, well then. <laughs> What's that about? Right? You think of it, all the things he could have mentioned about Jacob, but the thing he particularly mentioned, well, there's a couple of things, but I think he's leaning on the top of his staff. I thought, oh, there must, something, must be something deep in that. Who knows? But God willing, we'll come to it sometime, I trust. So, it's an introduction this evening, all right? Um, forgive me if it sounds a bit bitty. It's, it's not as I would want it to be one, two, three, four kind of thing. It's a little bit bitty, I mean, but I'm going to try and contain ourselves to Hebrews and another passage in Corinthians um, to explain what I mean. So we're going to look at faith, all right? And interestingly, it, chapter 11 is, believe it or not, connected to chapter 10, which is connected to 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. The whole of the letter to the Hebrews is really 
the writer is concerned about Jewish Christians who are in danger of going back. They were Jewish people, and they knew the law and Moses and all the rest of it, the Old Testament, the sacrifices and system, and they knew all that, and then suddenly they hear the gospel. They hear about God's fulfillment of the promises he made to all these people in the Old Testament. And they begin to see that all the things in the Old Testament, particularly, for example, in the sacrifices and the high priests and all that, how now it's been fulfilled in Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, right? And now he is the longed for one, the promised one, the anointed one. He was going to come and he's arrived. Hooray, praise the Lord. And that was wonderful. It was wonderful. And they came to understand these things. But then there were some, perhaps because of persecution, because, because, perhaps because they were being ostracized by their families, perhaps because um, uh, things they were, they, they, they were now doing or not doing affected the family life. Uh, Hazel and I, I know a lady called Helen Shapiro. Uh, if you're of an age, you'll remember her singing, uh, Walking Back to Happiness. Right? You can kind of nod, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, she's one of the trustees with the Messianic Testament. And uh, she was obviously Jewish. Well, obviously, she was Jewish, was still Jewish. Uh, but she came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it had a tremendous effect upon her family. They virtually disowned her. They didn't want to know her because she would gone over to the other side. She'd been converted and all that kind of stuff. Now, that was happening big time back in Hebrews. Now, some persevered. And some said, well, this is what I believe. This is, and it's a fulfillment of our prophecies, our word. It's not something new. And in a sense, much of the New Testament is saying, no, listen. Listen, this is not something new that is totally different to the old. It's a fulfillment of the old. You've got to grasp that. Now, it's difficult for us because we've got old and new, and we know all about it. But for those early Jewish believers, it was a horrendous thing, a tremendous thing. Because their thought, their expectation of the Messiah was David. Now, I've said this several times. I don't want to go over it again. But the expectation of the Messiah was a great warrior king. Bear in mind they were under subjection to the Roman authorities and so on. They longed for a deliverer who would come with a mighty army and smite the Romans and establish a kingdom again in Jerusalem and so on. So it was very hard for them, very, very difficult for them. Some believed, but then, as time went on, they were missing. They were missing some of the aspects of their religion. I'm using my words carefully. Now, most of you, if not all of you, I don't know everybody, obviously, way back, but most of you I knew were brought up in a chapel background, right? Wales, it was the chapel rather than the church. And most of you went to a, a church in a certain little area. I look at that's where your parents and grandparents and great-grandparents went from any from Adam's day or whatever. And that's your tradition. So coming to Gordon Road, for example, is not out of your tradition. 
is probably very similar to where you went as a child. By that, I'm saying it's very plain. Now, this is not a criticism. Right? I'm, thinking, I'm, play, I'm going to say, oh, you must get, you know. Right? This is just an observation. It's the same in Stanmore Chapel. Right? We're almost identical in the sense of all we had out the front was a verse over the top. Worship the Lord and the beauty of holiness was the verse we had. Jesus Christ is Lord, fine, all right. We had a baptistry just there, and all the glass was plain glass. No stained glass. There was no big cross. There were no statues or icons. It was very, very plain. And that's what you were used to. So when you came to Gordon Road, you didn't say, oh, I haven't got what we had. Well, no. But you didn't expect it. Pulpit was central. The Bible was on it. That's what we stand for. The Bible is central. Now, for the sake of the illustration, I think I mentioned this uh, once or twice. When I was in Stanmore, the local um, scout leader, who was an Anglican gentleman, the local scout leader, rang me up and said, Colin, uh, we've got our scouts, and one of the things we have to teach them, or we do teach them, is the difference in religions. Right? And he said, and what I've done, I've arranged for them to go as a group to the local places of worship. Is it all right if we come to you? I said, okay. I thought, well, fair enough. There's a chance perhaps just to tell them what's right. Um, anyway, so they come. And before they, they came through the door, and I said, right, now stop here, all right? I'll have a look around. And bear in mind, some were probably Anglican, some might have been Jewish, some might have been Muslim, some might have been Hindu. It's quite a mixed uh, uh, people community there in Stanmore. But they're all entitled to, to join the Cubs or Scouts or whatever. So they were there. I said, what do you think? And it was very interesting. And these boys, are, well, I mean, they were 8, 10, 11, 12, whatever. There's nothing new. Now, you've got to know things, right, if you've done to answer. There's nothing new. Where's your statues? Where's your pictures? Where's your big crucifix? Where's this? Where's that? He said, he said, it's very plain, isn't it? I said, yes. That's what it is. Because for us, the most important thing is the Bible at the front, which is preached every Sunday. Well, they, they thought it was a strange, very strange. Nothing to look at, nothing to touch, nothing, nothing. And I opened the baptistry just to show them what a Baptist was, as opposed to Presbyterian or anything. And uh, <coughs> this might sound like heresy, but bear with me. I baptized them in, in, in the baptistry. I say I baptized them. I told them what we would do. You see, you know, we'd have somebody would ask them, "Do you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ?" And they said yes. Then I would put them in the boat and bring them up, you see. So I explained. I said, would you like to come in the pool? So, of course, everybody wanted to come in the pool, so I baptized them all. Right? But not properly. Now, these Jewish people were used to seeing things and doing things and smelling things. You think of us, right? All the, the ceremonial of the Old Testament the sacrificial system, and all the rest of it. And you know that, you know that as well. All that, and suddenly, it's gone. There are no more sacrifices, no more high priests. It's gone. Because it's all been fulfilled 
in the Lord Jesus by his death and resurrection. And some of them missed it. They missed the excitement of it. And I guess there are some people who come from a background, from a Catholic background, Anglican background, Greek Orthodox background, would come to our little place and say, wow, there's nothing here. We've got the Bible, we've got the Lord, what else do you need? But can you understand that? So they, they missed that. And, and so there was a danger of going back. And so the writer of the Hebrew says, don't go back. There's nothing to go back for. All that you had in the Old Testament is being fulfilled in the Lord Jesus and is so much more, is so much better. These things were figures and types and shadows, but the real thing has come. The real thing has come. And he has fulfilled all that. And interestingly, in chapter 10, all right, um, where shall I read from? Um, from verse... Well, verse 31, chapter 10, 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, but call to remembrance the former days, in which after you were enlightened, you endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly because, part, whilst you became companions of them that were so used. Um, and then listen to this. For you have need of patience, that having done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tell you. For the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back into perdition, but of them who believe into the saving of the soul. The just shall live by faith. And faith is not in substance and tradition and rituals and ceremonies. That doesn't save you. Faith is in the invisible. Ultimately, it's the invisible. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You cannot see God. Now, you can see what he has done. You can see his creation, which surely proves he is a creator. Now, I love these nature programs. I've said this so often. Um, Deirdre Vartenberg and others, and they do these wonderful these programs on nature. But they can't see the creator. How foolish are they? How blind are they? And, and, and they say that this, this animal has got this little way of doing things. And it's just amazing. How did he get that knowledge to do that? Whether it's to get, uh, uh, to have its food or to protect itself. Very clever, these little animals, you know. It's the creator. It proves, surely, the creator. Now, what I want to say is this. Firstly, the law our faith is not which is not seen, right? We can't see or touch, right? It's not faith that is a fairy tale or a myth. I want to show you the difference here. Our faith, right, 
is based on facts. It's not airy-fairy. I hope this won't cause too much um, controversy, but I have to declare to you, I do not believe in Father Christmas. Now, you might want to throw me out. You might want to say, oh, Colin, you can't say that. Well, the youngest is Martin, and he probably knows that anyway. All right? There is no Father Christmas. I remember when I was told there wasn't. I was heartbroken. I know what it was, eight, ten. And, and in a tradition, in our houses, thousands and millions of them, that Christmas Eve, we put up a little sock or a little thing at the end of the bed or something, and, uh, and we put um, a mince pie and a cup of cocoa, right, by the fireplace. Because he's going to come down the chimney, have his mince pie, drink his cocoa, and off to go and leave the present. Now, that's what I was told. I believed it. And then when I was about, whatever, eight or nine, my sisters, typical sisters, they told me the truth. I couldn't believe it. But that can't be right. I know it can't be right because he always drinks the cocoa. Cocoa's gone. Mince pie's gone. Therefore, he's been and gone. Kiridi. And they said, no, God. Barbara drinks the cocoa. <laughs> and mother has the mince pie. I was shattered. It was a myth. All those years I've been told a myth. It wasn't based on fact. And I thought it was, but it wasn't. And let's be honest. When you think, and you don't think as a kid, how on earth are you going to get through the chimney? If he does, he's going to get burned. All right? How on earth are you? And all this kind of nonsense. Right? Now, now, another thing I'm going to say to you, and you may not agree with this, we never told our children that there was a Father Christmas. Oh, you've spoiled Christmas. What? You've spoiled Christmas because you've told your children there's no Father Christmas? No. We said, listen, there'll be presents, but they'll be from mum and dad relatives and they'll be there and that they we love you and that's why we will give you presents after sight but there is no father christmas well we won't go there what i'm trying to say to you is this what we believe by faith right is based on facts it's based on historical facts it's not based on myths of fairy tales and reindeers and all that nonsense and some of the other faiths, with a very small f, are built on all kinds of weird stuff. You think, how on earth can people believe that? But they do. But they do. So, we have an historical, historical basis for what we believe in the Bible. Not everything. And you might say, well, yes, history will record that such and such a city was destroyed. The Bible says God destroyed it. But that's a faith thing. It could have been destroyed by an earthquake. And some would say, well, perhaps God used an earthquake. Perhaps he did. Perhaps he did. But if it says God did it and doesn't say anything about an earthquake, I'm happy to say that God did it directly. It's historical. So we can look things up. We can look things up in other books. I've said this several times. Uh, the great thing about our Bible is that a lot of it can be verified from historical documents. Archaeology is a great friend to the Bible. 
Science shouldn't be that against the Bible because science technically is the observation of facts. A scientist will look at a microscope or whatever and he will look at what is observable and then make certain deductions from that. Now, he might not be the right deductions, but he's looking at facts, at observe, that which is observable. It's a fact that the Lord Jesus Christ lived. He was born. Now, we believe he was born of a virgin. Some do not believe that. Some of them in the days of Jesus didn't believe it, and they said some nasty things about him. But the, he, the fact that he lived cannot be disputed. Now, what we believe about him is an entirely different thing. We believe that he was the son of God. We believe that he was God in the flesh. Now, that comes by reading the Bible, hearing preaching, and ultimately by faith. I cannot prove to you that Jesus was born of Mary, a virgin. I can tell you what the Bible says. I can tell you I believe it. I can tell you Christians have believed it all down the centuries, but I cannot prove it to you. Belief requires, in that, requires faith. Now, we need to be careful as we, before we go on anymore about faith, because there is faith with a small f which people who come to church have but it's not what we call saving faith they will say well I have a faith I believe in God I believe in the Bible, I believe in Jesus so I have faith and then you say well okay but what kind of faith is it is it real faith, is it saving faith is it the faith of which the Bible speaks when it talks about the just shall live by faith? You can have a belief. You can have a faith. But is it a, a real commitment, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it misplaced? There's a famous story told of an American preacher when he was a little boy. He tells the story himself. Um, he said that he was ill one time and uh, he's way out in a stick somewhere in America and his mother was concerned and there was a little bottle on the shelf that she believed uh, had medicine that would cure him. So she gave him a little teaspoon day by day and he got worse and worse and worse. And eventually they were able to get a doctor and the doctor said, what have you been giving him? He said, this is poison. You've been giving your son poison every day. But I thought it was all right. I believed it was okay. I was, I was sincere in giving this to my son to make him better. And the doctor said, well, sadly, my dear, you were sincerely wrong. Now, it is possible to have a faith and be sincere in that faith, but actually that faith is not real, it's not biblical, because it's not in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It hasn't led to a personal relationship with God. I have faith, yes, but having faith, inverted commas, is not enough. It has to be the proper faith, Bible faith. Faith inspired and given by the Holy Spirit. 
And we can talk about faith in a very kind of remote, casual way. I've said this previously. When Bev died, a Christian friend said to me, well, Colin, at least you've got your faith to keep you going. Now, he meant it kindly, all right? I said, well, yeah, thank you for that. But actually, it's not my faith that keeps me going. It's the God in whom I have faith. He keeps me going. What keeps you coming to chapel? What keeps you coming to Gordon Road? Oh, my faith. Is it? Or is it God who gives faith? Ephesians 2, verse 8, a very well-known verse, where Paul writes to the Ephesians, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. I use an illustration, which I, I, I hope will be helpful. And I use it because if you're not careful, and sometimes we preachers say it, you know, faith will save you. Jesus said, go in peace, your faith has healed you. Strictly, faith doesn't save us. Strictly, it wasn't a woman's faith that healed her. It was the Lord who healed her through faith. We are saved by faith because it's the Lord who saves us through faith, by grace. And the illustration I use is about a coupling that's big chains, right, three or four, big coupling that connects the engine with the carriages. I think I was 60, a special birthday present for my daughters, very kind of them, all right, and I think the mother might have chipped in. They bought me a day out at the Forest of Dean Heritage Railway Line. Wonderful. And I got to drive the diesel train. I could have had the steam train, but it would have cost more, so I didn't. Anyway, so I drove a diesel train in the Forest of Dean. Wonderful. And one of the things we had to so take your old clothes. Well, I, that's normal, I, I will say. Took my old dungarees, whatever. And uh, one of the things I had to do was connect up the carriages with the engine. With this big coupling, right? Big steel, if you imagine, like, like three links of a chain, but huge things. And I couldn't lift them. All the men who did it did it for a job. Perhaps there were two or three of them. But I couldn't lift it myself. Just to put it on the, the hook, as it were, on the engine, and on the, it was just too heavy for me. Now, here's the question. How does the carriage and the engine get to the destination? The carriage cannot get there on its own, as obviously understandable. The engine could get there on its own, but its whole purpose of going that way is to take the carriage with it. The connection is this coupling. Now, it's not the coupling that gets to the destination. It's the engine. But it's through the coupling that the carriage follows. You think, well, Colin, that's very sublime. <laughs> Have you got it? Have you got it? You need the coupling. But it's not the coupling that takes you. It's the engine through the coupling. And you're just the carriage. And left to yourself, you couldn't put the coupling together anyway. 
Faith is not inherent in a human being. Faith is, we're not born with it. It's not there, the little flame, and you, and up a little spark, and it comes to light. We do not have faith. We're not born with it. It's a supernatural gift of God, the Holy Spirit. And he gives us this faith. He enables us to believe, and we trust in the Lord Jesus. We come to him as sinners to the Savior, as a work of God, and we're coupled up, and off he goes to take us to our heavenly destination. Faith, Bible faith, is real. It's a work of God, and it's in a real person and his work, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to use one other little illustration which I have used, um, how faith is so important when it comes to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. Now, the Bible, Paul in Corinthians, gives a little synopsis, a little uh, picture, a cameo, if you like, of the gospel. This is what he says um, in chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, which you understand, and by which you were saved. All right? I deliver first of all unto you, which I also received, and here's the gospel, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's the first essential part of the gospel. You know it so well. Christ died for our sins. Christ died as our substitute. Christ died bearing the wrath of God on our behalf. We know that. That's what we believe. The Bible says we can't prove it. We can, we can go to history and say, yes, there was a man called Jesus of Nazareth. He was on a middle cross. He died. He was slain uh, by the Romans and all the rest of it. We can tell all that, but we cannot say this is what happened. All we can say is this is what we believe happened. God took our sins upon him on, his, on his son. That's what we believe happened. That's what the cross is all about. And then Paul goes on to say, and he was buried. Obviously, he was buried because he was dead. He was dead, so they buried him. He was buried. Dead, dead, dead. But that's not the end. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. There must be the resurrection. If Jesus died and remained dead, there is no gospel. There is no forgiveness. There's no reconciliation. If he's dead and remains dead, that's the end of it and the end of him. The resurrection is so important. That's why he, when Paul will go on later to uh, say that he rose again and we've seen by, by Cephas and the 12 and, and 500 brethren and then Paul and so on and so on, witnesses to that fact. It's a fact. I'm happy to say it's a fact that he rose again. But if he's not, if there's no resurrection, listen to our Paul's argument here, because someone in Corinth was saying there was no resurrection of the dead. Once you're dead, you're dead. If you're a believer, it doesn't matter. What you believe, when you're dead, you're dead, that's it, and there's no resurrection of the body. Well, says Paul, if that's the case, if there's no resurrection, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain. What's the point of preaching a dead Christ? A dead Christ can do nothing for anybody. He can't do anything. 
that is good and purposeful. Ah, if we, Christ is not raised, then your preaching is vain and your faith is also vain. If you've only got vain in that Jesus who died and all the wonderful things you could say about that, if that's all it goes, then it's vain. You need more. I use my words carefully. You need more than a crucified Savior. You need a resurrected Savior. You need a risen Savior. Because that puts God's stamp on the crucifixion. Here's God's way of saying, Amen. Jesus says, it is finished. I've done the work. I've suffered. I've bled. I've died. I've done it. And the Father says, Amen. Amen. You have. Another illustration I use when I'm nearly finished. In the Old Testament, once a year, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement to offer sacrifice. And in his uh, uh, robe, that's sewn at the bottom, were little bells. And he went and he did tinkle, 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 tinkle inside. And they were all outside and you could hear that tinkle, tinkle. And he could slow down, tinkle, tinkle. And then for a brief time, it would stop as he offered the sacrifice, and then tinkle, tinkle, and then tinkle, 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 as he came out. Now, the fact that he came out proved that the sacrifice that he'd offered was acceptable to Jehovah, to Yahweh. But what if he didn't come out? What if God looked at this sacrifice and said, oh, hold on here. You know the rules. Best lamb, best bullock, best goat, best, no blemish, no spot. That's what I've said. And I can see that that lamb, that offering is blemished. It is not acceptable. I will not accept it. I will not forgive you your sins. No deal. Who knows, the high priest may have been struck down dead. And there's no tinkle. He's not coming out. The fact of the sacrifice being accepted to God is proved by his coming out. There's a Jewish tradition. I don't, it's not in the Bible, but it's a Jewish tradition that back in the day, they tie a little bit of rope around the high priest's leg so he could go in and if he didn't come out in half an hour, they'd pull it. And if there's no response, they assume he died. He might have had a heart attack or whatever. And then they could pull it because they couldn't go in, you see. They couldn't go in. A sacred place, they couldn't go in. So they pull him out with the rope. Now, I don't know if that's true. Right? That's a Jewish tradition. But I do know this. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ proves the acceptance of the atoning sacrifice of his son. Hallelujah. And we are called upon to have faith in his death and in his resurrection. On our behalf, he died for me and he rose again for me. 
one day you'll come again to me. And we are called upon to have faith in him and all he has done on our behalf. So, as I bring this to a close, that's one question, isn't it? Have you got faith? Real faith? Biblical faith? Is what you've got a religious faith? But it's not the real biblical faith. If you said to me, well, Colin, I'm not sure. Well, ask for it. Ask for it. Ask. Lord, says a man in the New Testament, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Lord, I want real faith. I'm not sure if I've got it. Please give it to me that I might respond to your call and respond to your invitation to come. Lord, draw me to yourself. Lord, bring me to yourself. Give me this faith that I may trust in your son. You know what? I'm persuaded that God won't say no. He won't say, you know, you're not worthy of it. If God said that tonight, this place would be empty. Not one of you, or the bloke in the front, in the pulpit, not one of us would be here because we are not worthy. But thanks be to God, God gives this faith to unworthy sinners who call upon him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this little introduction. Forgive us if it's been a bit muddled in places. But, Lord, we thank you that faith is real if it's in a real person and it's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant us that faith if we've not got it and grant if we have got it to rejoice in it and to live by faith, a walk of faith in obedience to our Saviour. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen, amen, amen. That is a prayer that the Lord might cheer us. All right. As we hear him. So it's 523.